Evening, guys. How we doing? Good. Three of you are doing really well, it looks like. All right, that's what I'm talking about. You can't do it a second time, though, because if you do it a second time, it's counterfeit. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. So we just do it that one time. But hey, how about the uh, all-man band tonight? They, yeah. They, uh, yeah, yeah, Todd and the Rascals, that was the name. I love it. And they, uh, you know, they didn't do anything crazy, so that's good. So I, I thought maybe there might be something in there. You know, the all-man band, you got to take advantage of the women not supervising and, you know, do something crazy. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I shouldn't say anything, though. I mean, they still have one more song to go, so any, anything can happen here, so... Um, Hey, my name is Dallas. If I haven't met you, I really would love the opportunity to meet you after the service and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, If you're a guest with us, you came at a really good night because we're starting a new series. We're going to walk through the book of Romans over the next several weeks and just kind of process through this letter, what it means, who it was intended for, and all those things over the next several weeks. And tonight we're going to go through Romans 1 through 3. But before we do that, I want to give you just a little bit of background on the letter to Romans. Um... This letter is unique to some other letters of Paul because uh, Paul hadn't visited Rome when he had written this letter. He, or at least he hasn't visited the church in Rome and processed through with the church in Rome what's going on and what the issues are and that sort of thing. So in other letters you see uh, really follow-up letters from his visits, but you don't see that here. You see more of an introduction to the problem of sin and the gospel, the genuine gospel. And another thing you got to note here is this is during a time of intense, intense persecution. In fact, two years after this letter is written, that's when the Emperor Nero would set burn to the, the area around his empire so that he could build it back bigger. And what did he do? He blamed the Christians for it. And so this is a very contentious time where there's this new movement of Christianity and uh, Roman, especially Roman leaders don't really like this movement because they're declaring that Jesus is king. And they said, you can have as many gods as you want, doesn't matter, it's fine, but you got one king, and that's the emperor of Rome. Well, Christians pledge allegiance first and foremost to King Jesus, and so there's a big problem there, and there's a lot of persecution going on during this time. And then the third thing you got to know is Paul is aware that there's lots of good things going on in the church in Rome, but there's also a little bit of disunity going on in the church. You have Uh, Christians with a Jewish heritage, and you have Gentile Christians kind of coming together under the same roof. And and the Jewish Christians would say, hey, there's customs, there's traditions, there's things we've done for thousands of years that the Gentiles now need to adopt. But then the Gentiles would say, look, we don't really care anything about those traditions. We just, we met this Jesus, and we love this Jesus, and we just want to worship this Jesus. And so we don't really care about circumcision or old traditions or all these different things, right? So you have this conflict here. And Paul writes in part to address this conflict. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to take part of Romans 1, part of Romans 2, and part of Romans 3 and just process the flow from Romans 1, 2, and 3. In Romans 1, Paul talks about the problem, the problem of our sin. Let's pick up in verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So this is what Paul is kind of going through in Romans chapter 1. He's, he's saying you have to understand the problem first before we can move forward, the problem of sin. And this is a very unpopular idea today in the world, to say that there is even a problem at all. Down is up, up is down, upside down is right side up in our kingdom today, or in our culture today. Uh, it reminds me, there was a story I heard a few months ago about a lady, it's a true story, a lady who was a pilot, and she was um, up in the air and she was navigating through some dense clouds and was trying to really figure out, there's a lot of turbulence and things, and she's trying to figure out how to get through those clouds. So her idea is she'll take the controls and she'll pull them straight up. So she gets up elevated over those clouds. And so she does. She pulls straight up. The problem was the whole time that she was upside down when she did that. So when she pulled up, she actually was going down and she went straight into the side of the mountain and was killed. And that's really indicative of our culture today, isn't it? Down is up. Up is down. I mean, to love somebody, it is to say, you know what, you don't have any problem, it's fine, it's no big deal. And then it's hate speech to say, actually, there are really serious issues here that you've got to deal with, you've got to contend with. That's where we're at in our culture, and I think it's very important to, to know that, not to start culture wars or anything like that, but it's really important for us to identify that there are serious problems at hand. And you see ideas like uh, somebody may say in the world today, hey, you know what, I was just born that way. And I find that argument particularly interesting because the reality is we're all born into sin. All of us. We're all born into sin. And so that's the point here, right? Jesus' invitation is to be reborn. To go from being born into sin to be born into life a whole new way. And that's through repentance. And what people are saying typically when they say, I was born this way, what they're really saying, though, is, I think I should be able to continue in this way, and it's not a very big deal. But the invitation from Jesus is to say, we can turn from those ways that end in destruction, and sometimes we think we're doing the right thing, like that pilot, we think we're doing the exact right thing, and in reality it leads to destruction. The invitation is to turn and say, God, I don't know the way, and instead I want to be reborn, I want to be reborn into life. And that's loving. This is what Paul is saying in this letter to start out. It is loving to say that we have a problem and it is sin. It's not loving to say just be who you are and just go about your days. Um, another story I wanted to tell you guys, and you're going to think this is a lie, but listen, I haven't lied to you yet, so just trust me, okay? It's a true story. But there was this, uh, 
this mom and kid who lived together, the kid was probably 13, 14 years old. It was just the two of them. And one day the kid says, all I want to eat are peanut M&Ms and pretzels. Mom, that's all I want. It's, all, it's, all, it's just all I'm going to eat. And she, thinking that she's being loving, says, okay, if that's all you want to eat, that's fine. And it's a very, very sad story because before this kid turned 20 years old, he lost his vision completely. And he never did see his 25th birthday before he died. And all that time, the mom was thinking, I'm being loving. He said this is what he wants to do, and I'm honoring that, and that's love, right? No, in, in that scenario, love is, kid, you're going to eat your broccoli. you got to eat your broccoli. You have to. Yeah, <laughs> big broccoli fan out here, I think. <laughs> but that's where we've got it so upside down right now in our culture. And if we're not careful, that leaks into our Christian culture to say, you know what, it's, it's really not that big of a deal, your sin in fact, really, it's, it's, it's more you're just a product of things that have happened to you, and there's nothing you can do about it, and it's just okay. And Paul is saying, that's just not true. That's just not true. That's just not true. And we've got to teach our kids this reality and teach the people we care about this reality. Because if we're not careful, a new truth comes about, and we say, oh, that sounds pretty good. Let me just latch on to that. Um, Francis Chan, uh, I'm a big fan of his. If you ever check his videos out, man, he's just so intense. I, although sometimes I listen to him and I'm like, whoa, am I even a Christian? Man, this guy's just like out there, man. But no, he's, uh, he, he has some really good stuff and he was doing an interview and he was talking about how um, when his kids were late teens, early 20s, and he's got four of them and they were starting out, you know, kind of their lives on their own, right? Going off to college or whatever is next for them. And he told them, he said, don't trade 6,000 years worth of truth for something that your friend just came up with. And I thought, isn't that so true? I mean, doesn't, doesn't the culture do that? It's like, okay, this new thing sounds good, let me latch on to that. But, but as we look at history, we see time and time again new ideas that now we look at and we say... Yeah, that was a really bad idea. Even though everybody at the time seemed to latch onto this idea, that was really bad. And I wanted to give some examples just for fun that I thought of the last couple of days. You remember, um, I wasn't alive for this. I don't think anybody was alive for this. But you remember when cigarettes were thought to cure cancer? Did you ever hear about that? And they were supposed to be really good for a sore throat. And you weren't really enlightened unless you knew that reality. That was the cool new thing. You, you got cigarettes, and that was going to cure everything. Well, we realize now, <laughs> not exactly, right? Or like radiation's another one. Radiation's not a big deal. It's fine, right? You can be all around it, all up in it, and everything, and it just doesn't matter. And a personal a, a friend close to me, I was thinking about this, a more recent example is, do you ever see those hydroxycut commercials where you know, lose weight fast. Take these supplements, lose weight fast. Well, that friend of mine did it, and he did lose weight fast. He lost like 25, 30 pounds. The problem is he almost lost his life as well. He was in the hospital for like a week because it damaged his liver so bad, and now 
they're like having to back off on all these claims and things and you know you're entitled to compensation and all see those commercials and things but yet it was like cool man this is the new thing and that's the point here that I'm trying to make is that we've got to teach our kids and the people we care about don't just latch on to the new thing that people are saying don't do it don't trade 6,000 years worth of truth for this new thing that's not going to last. I mean, the new gender ideology, the new sexual ethic, the new whatever it is, I'm not going to trade 6,000 years of truth for this new thing. And we've got to be a people who understand that. And that's why, that's what he's saying here. That's what Paul is saying here. That's why he sets up Romans 1 the way he does to say, we have to know that there is a problem and that problem is our sin. Now, i got to say, too, that this is the moment where religious people can really mess up. Because we've identified the problem here. But our initial thought is the solution is do better. Right? If you, if you snap at your kid or you, you, you have an argument with your spouse or whatever the case is and you know you're in the wrong, the first inclination is, man, i got to do better i got to do better. And that's what, that's what the Pharisees and, and, the, and really the early Christians uh, in the Jewish community were really fighting this mentality too. It was, yes, I agree that there's a problem that is sin. And now the pathway is obey the law. Obey the commands of God and everything will be good. Everything will be okay. Uh, ascribe to these traditions. Become circumcised. Do all these things and then you'll be okay. So Paul knowing, and, and Paul was so smart, man, he, it just seems like whatever's on your mind next, he speaks into, he just follows along with, okay, you may have a rebuttal about this, but here, here I go, I'm just going to go ahead and address it. So in Romans 1, he says, here's the problem, sin, and then in Romans 2, he starts talking about, here's what you think is the solution, but it's not, and we're going to process through that, Romans 2, 17. He says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So let's stop right there. What he's saying in essence here is knowing what is good does not equate to being able to be good. And that's really crucial for us. You can teach something all day long, but it doesn't mean that you have that thing that you're teaching about. Paul is saying that they've, they've been given the law and they know the law. They've even memorized the law, a lot of them, but it does not mean that they can keep the law. That's the difference here. I think the Pharisees are thinking and the early Christians are thinking, because I know what the scriptures say, then I'm good. Have you ever... Have you ever had that mentality of thinking you're, you know something, so you're good to go? Have you ever heard somebody start a sentence with, uh, look, I know this is wrong, but 
blank. And you're like, wait, do you think you get credit for saying, I know this is wrong, and then doing that thing? It would probably be better if you could just claim ignorance, right? It would be a better place to be. But there's something in us that thinks just because we know something, then we've got it. And that's just not true. That's the mentality that, that Paul is really snuffing out right now. So you do have to know in order to possess, but just because you know something doesn't mean that you possess it. In fact, what Paul is saying right now is that you can't. You can't do it. You never could keep the law. You never could fulfill the law in the first place. So he's saying in Romans 1, here's the problem. Here's what you think the solution is. Here's what your human nature thinks the solution is. The problem is, it's just not the solution. It's just not it. In fact, in Romans 3, 9, he just gets really bold here. Like he's kind of warming up to this idea with the Jewish Christians, but then he just lays it out there point blank. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. See, with the coming of Christ, the Jew no longer has any advantage. And then Paul would go on to say right after that, he says, no one is good, no, not one. You can't gain righteousness through keeping the law. You cannot gain righteousness by keeping the law. Paul is so good at just seeing, man, here's where we go next. And here's where we do often go next. Like things like if you didn't, if you forgot to pray in the morning, you know, you think, okay, tomorrow morning I'm going to get it right and I'm going to pray. And then what do you do? Next thing you do is you feel good about yourself. Like somehow you've made it now. Like you're, you're good now, right? Isn't that the, the nature that we have? But the reality is that there is only one righteousness and it's Christ's righteousness. Tozer says it like this, A.W. Tozer. He says, the only sin Jesus ever had was ours and the only righteousness we can ever have is his. Amen. Isn't that so true? Absolutely. So to this point, Paul has exposed the problem, he's given the false solution, and then Romans 3, he says, this is what the real solution is. The real solution is only through Christ's righteousness. See, Jesus became what we are, so we could become what he is. He declares us righteous. He gives us a new status. And now we can be in right relationship with God, because we are justified through his righteousness. And that is so important. It's not just important for coming to salvation. It's important throughout our sanctification to remind ourselves we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it at all. In fact, really, it's just the mentality that we must decrease, like John the Baptist says, and he must increase. That's the point of the life of a believer. That's the whole point. Uh, Romans 3.20, we're going to read through 27. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Man, highlight that part, right? That's the purpose of the law. You may be wondering at this point, okay, if, if I can't be saved through works of the law, then what's the law for? And he says right here, he says it point blank. That's the purpose of the law. It exposes our sin and, and has the reality that we need a Savior, and it was never intended for us to be able to fulfill that law. It was only Christ who fulfilled it on our behalf. And so now it becomes faith in that reality that provides salvation to us. So important. So important. 
The solution is faith in that reality that provides salvation to us. Let's keep reading, 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. Man, that is the gospel right there. There is a problem, and it's our sin we have got to acknowledge that reality. But we also have to go against our impulse to say, okay, I know I have sin, and I just got to figure it out now. We can't figure it out. That's why Christ had to come. It's because we couldn't figure it out. So instead, what we do, you know when you mess up and you're like, all right, I got to figure this out. I got to just be a better husband. I got to just be a better blank. Instead of going and initially trying to do those things, what we do instead is, the way we fight is we, we get on our knees or we get in silence or whatever and we just say, God, I need you to take over. I need you to take over. I know I don't have righteousness of my own. I know I'm going to continue to not be a very good husband or very good blank. And what I need is for you and your righteousness to take over my life. And that is so fundamentally different, is it not? It's entirely different. It's the attitude of John the Baptist that says, I must decrease and he must increase. And that's the battle. And that's Romans 1, 2, and 3. And may we be a church that humbly comes before him, acknowledging our sin in repentance and says, God, it's, it's only you. It's only your righteousness. And I could never make it on my own. Let that be the DNA of Grace Meadows Church. Let's pray together. Father. I pray that you will uh, make, make us a, a Romans 1, 2, and 3 church. I pray that you will just continue to form us in that way, Father. Bring about a humility to say, yeah, yeah I, I do have a problem. I mean, my problem is my own sin. There's no excuses. It's just it's my own sin. And yet I, I still can't. I know, I've identified the problem, but I still can't figure out the solution. So I just call on you. It's, it's your righteousness, God. Father, make that true of Grace Meadows Church. Father, we're very thankful for who you are. And I pray you'll make us a people who continue to just come to you and run to you because you are the one with the solution. We love you very much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's worship. The altars are open if you need to respond in that way. Let's stand together.